Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. Tonight, um, I I feel compelled to um, do something a little bit different. Um, And it may be a little clumsy, so I apologize for that because I'm kind of getting out of my routine here. But as I was um, getting ready for this week, um, typically I leave on Thursdays to spend, you know, me and Panera Bread employees are almost on first name basis. I spend so much time there, you know, and um, Fridays we have youth. Saturdays I duck away for half the day to get ready. Sunday mornings I go somewhere and get ready. Um, And uh, I just couldn't and I couldn't figure out why. Like I study, I research, I'm going after, you know, like chasing down definitions and terms and all that stuff. And it reminded me of when I was a younger man than I am now. Um, I was 19 and I was in Denver, Colorado in a discipleship program that was here. We traveled to Denver and uh, we were in a mall that was recently purchased by a church. Uh, The entire mall. Like, when I say mall, I'm thinking, yeah, think old school, like, mall that doesn't exist anymore because of Amazon. Thank you, Jeff Bezos. But um, where all the kids just go hang out. Um, Two-story mall, massive center court-esque, you know, escalators up and down. The church bought it. And the name of the church, I think, it may not be still that name today, but back then it was called the Happy Church. And I never realized it until I realized what was kind of legal in Colorado. And I was like, oh, maybe they're happy for... More reasons than just Jesus around here, you know, but I was there and we were doing some work with their youth group and um, uh, You know in the discipleship program you had to pray an hour every day It's kind of everybody came through and you know Tuesday through Friday you were in a sanctuary or somewhere praying and And so I would always go through my list right I go from my parents, you know, you know my brother my my cousins my grandparents You know the ones that were saved I spent a few more minutes on them and I'd pray for everybody I could think of and I thought I was really super spiritual because I prayed for the president who was not the guy I voted for so I thought man I'm really doing good if I'm praying for this guy you know and um and so I kind of went through this whole regiment every time I prayed and when I was in this the happy church um I was in a youth group room and they're having prayer that morning and I can't explain it any other way than to kind of illustrate it to you I would start my prayer and I would go God right now I just It's like the words just got stuck and wouldn't come out. It's like, what does it matter? I'm like, well, okay. God, I pray right now. I just can't get the words out. My first thought is, stupid devil, right? Like, or like the enemy's coming against me. I'm gonna fight you. You know, God, I pray that you just. I just could not get it out, and I was getting frustrated. And one of the leaders came to me and said, "Are you all right? Because you look kind of frustrated in prayer." And I said, "I am frustrated because I can't pray." He goes, what do you mean? I'm like, I just kind of like, I'm trying to say, you know, I'm trying to say some stuff, you know. Right. Oh. Um, I'm trying to say some stuff. I'm trying to get it out, you know, here. And and I just can't. And uh, I just can't pray. And he goes, have you ever not said anything in prayer? I said, what does that mean? Like, how do you not say something in prayer? I'm supposed to talk to God, right? That's what I'm supposed to be doing. And he kind of chuckled at me and said, here's what I want you to do. Go sit right over there and don't say a word, just listen. And it really revolutionized my understanding of prayer. 
because I thought I had to knock through my list and pray for all the unsaved people of the world and you know every person I'd ever met and I felt guilty if I thought of you know some cousin of a friend that I met one time and I forgot him that morning you know it's like oh man I forgot to pray for him God they're going to hell because of me you know what I mean like I forgot him and and so that 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 moment changed some things for me and that's kind of how I felt getting ready this week I felt um like I just I was trying to get the prayer out or I was trying to get the study going I was trying to dig it out I was trying to find the lesson and it just would not come and so on Friday, when all the youth were over at, it used to be called Waterworld. What is it called now? Hurricane Harbor. Hurricane Harbor. Okay, yeah, Six Flags. Corporate buys out everything. Um, but anyway, uh, the six when they were at Six Flags, um, I stayed here, wrapped up work, and I put on some music here in the house, and I just began to pray, like, God, what is going on with me? What is going on here? What is it, you know, don't forget, Sunday's coming. <laughs> I got to get up there and say something. You know, and, um, and the Lord just began to stop me for a moment and point me back to all the things that we had been through message-wise and teaching-wise on Sundays throughout this year. <clears throat> um, we've been through, I thought, I really, really thought about asking everybody just go around the room and say, what was your the most impactful message you remember of the year? But I know that some of you would be like, so I'm not going to do that to you. So if y'all are, y'all are, <laughs> she's like, I will never sit up here again. <laughs> um, but so I, I thought back how we started the year with um, the armor of God. Talked about how to put on the armor and how that works for us and what does it exactly mean. We talked about the Old Testament king of Asaph, how he did right most of his life, but not all of it and a bunch of applications. We took four or five weeks to go through the Bible, the actual historical, archaeological evidence for the Bible. There is an immense amount of, they call it an embarrassment of riches for the evidence, for the authenticity and the accuracy of God's word. We went through Tinsdale and how he literally risked his life and gave his life up ultimately so that we would have the, uh, the, the Bible in our English language. And he was killed by a branch of the church because they didn't, they wanted, they didn't want to relinquish control. And then the last couple of weeks, um, we've, we've talked about money and that was the big fear for me, right? Because I seen how it's been incorrectly used and, and, and manipulated, you know, in a church environment. And, and, um, we got through all of that and then I stopped and I wanted to keep charging forward. And then as I looked back, as I looked back at all of these series, all the messages and, and all the things that we've taught from here and Ryan taught a couple times, once on humility and um, some that really impacted James. And then when I talked to him this week, I mean, it was, I, I looked back on all that stuff and I thought, I had to go learn it. So it's not like I'm inventing all of this stuff, right? I'm going back to God's word that already exists. And so in, in some ways, I'm kind of just getting the message before I deliver it to you guys. And I sat there, back there on that couch where Renee is, in this house by myself, and was trying to go through all the things I studied and thought, and I thought, how much of that came here? 
but never made it here. How much of the stuff have I studied and learned and pulled the meaning out of and read the context of and, and how many times have I dived and dove into commentaries and none of that is wrong. It's all actually very good. But how many times have we done that and presented that and shown the scripture and gone back and forth with wrestling between what we were taught and what the scripture says and learning the right thing? How many times have we done that and got it here but it never really translated here. I sat there and thought about everybody going through the water slides and Val pushing kids over so she could go on the slide ahead of them. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. She didn't do that at all. Um, <laughs> I thought about all them laughing and having fun and here I am sitting in this house by myself weeping because I saw the gaps in me. You know, um, this week was a monumental week for America. The overturning of Roe versus Wade. And a lot of people are really happy about that, not because they understand what it means, but they think we got a dub, we got a win. Abortion's not outlawed in this country. It's just not mandated that you can't have a law against it. I heard um, there's companies in California who are planning on implementing abortion vacations. So if you are in a state that had a trigger law, there's a dozen of them, I think, 10 or 12 of them that instantly implemented anti-abortion laws in the state and, the, and in the, their particular state and more are coming. If you live in a place where you can't get the procedure that you need, you can come and stay on the beach and enjoy the weather and run off one day and get your procedure and go back home and, and enjoy your time here and have a little vacation, a little abortion vacation. And don't get me wrong, I'm very happy that that um, Supreme Court finally used its brain and realize that the law was unjust. But then I watched people who bear the name Christian, like us, take a victory lap online. I watched people say stuff, post little pictures. This is your body, this is not your body. And it's true, you know. I watched people say snarky little things to everybody and I thought how many people have ever been changed by that? How many people were changed by my snarky rub it in your face idea of well I got what I wanted and now you gotta live with it and then detest it when it happens to us. Remember that whole judge not, so you're not judged, the same standard you judge other people with will be the same standard you're judged with. We just rub people's faces in it and are mad when they do it back to us. Should we be celebrating? Yeah. 
because there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of kids that are going to live because of it. Make no mistake, it's a massive thing. Mother Teresa was approached by several prominent men. They came and visited her, and they were talking to her about the, the people she was working with, the worst of the poor. Like, when we say poor, uh, no. We're talking about, like, legit poor people. They asked her one day, you know, we've prayed for people to have food and for sicknesses to be healed and things like that. And she goes, yes, I've seen all those miracles. And they said, have you ever asked God to send us someone that would have the cure for AIDS? Because that was the big focus of everyone at that moment. And she said, I did. And he answered me. And they're like, great, where is he? And she said, God told me in my prayer time, I sent that person to you, but you aborted me. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's an actual thing or she just had a moment of trying to use a parable to illustrate something. But I wonder what we've really lost. I heard a bunch of people try to come back at a bunch of Christians who were taking their victory lap and say, I hope you guys are ready to care for all these kids who are going to be alive now because they can't kill them. It's like Christian folks are 250% more likely to adopt than a non-believing family. We'll take the kids. And I thought about how many people in this country believe that when you wave this book, you see red, white, and blue. Thought about how many people, and in, in some instances you'd be right because many of our founding fathers and many of our greatest judicial laws actually came from here. I don't care what your high school or college professor or your resident internet guru told you, if you actually read history, 50 of the 56 people who signed the founding documents were believers of this and God, followers of him, ministers, Christian physicians. Well, they were deists. How many of them? I don't know. Six. <laughs> Six. Many of our greatest laws and the value of life not being held without witnesses for a long period of time, not being able to just be able to do things without representation. All of those laws flowed from principles here. And it's easy for many people to, when you think about this, go, America. America. And so, that is not um, what God tells us here. Is he for you as his people? Absolutely. Is he for the construct of America that we made? I think he's for his people.
there, if I, if I had three of these stools to sit here and put them in front of you, I would label one here believer, one here atheist, and the one right here that I'm sitting in, I would call it cultural Christian. What is the cultural Christian? Somebody tell me, just you can talk back to me here, we're in the house. Um, outside of going to heaven, obviously, salvation, eternal, from eternal destruction, that's the big one. What's the benefit, a practical benefit, that we receive from serving God? Anybody? Just shout it out. Any? Insurance. I'm sorry? Insurance. You get insurance from your Christian? Insurance for what? Explain that to me. Heaven. Heaven. Okay, right. Heaven, eternity, that one's given. At anything else? Peace. Peace? Okay. Okay. Family, like community and like, okay, cool. Anybody else? Practical benefits of following God. Like real life, real, real down to earth. Anybody else? Anybody else? Safety. Safety. From? Lots of things. Lots of things. Lots of things, but, you know, we were taught not to do yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Some kind of moral standard that keeps, that protects us. Mm -hmm. Good? Okay. <clears throat> so, these are all the things when I thought about this question, I thought about myself. But, let's do a little comparison here from a cultural Christian and a non-believer. Hey man, non-believer, <clears throat> sitting in the cultural Christian place, why don't you come to church with me? Um, really? I never thought about going to church. Why should I come? Bro, we have a community of people that we're really close to that we get to do life with, we're like-minded and all that kind of stuff. And the non-believer goes, bro, that's awesome because I got that too. Me and my boys were a part of this car club, like a classic car club, and we get together all the time and it's like we have our own community. Well, yeah, it's not like that. It's not like we're just having fun and stuff like that. We're, we are having fun, but, well, we get together and um, we kind of look out for each other. That's the same thing we do. My boy's car broke down and I went and got him and took him to work last week because he needed a new car part, fill in the blank that I don't know, um, that we need to, that, that, uh, needs to be ordered from the dealer, and we got him. He was good. Yeah, that's not what I'm really talking about. It's not like just giving people rides. It's um, we got awesome music. These guys sit up on the stage and they sing, and we all jump with them, and it's just awesome, dude. Every month we have a car show, and we set up this stage, and we invite this band, and we rock out with them. Yeah, dude, I'm with you. I got you, man. We're good. Well, no, it's, uh, 
we study the way we're supposed to live in God's word. We, we get into it. And we have somebody who teaches us, dude, we have the manuals for all these cars. And we talk about the difference between the stick shift and the automatic and the, the old three speeds and the new six speeds. We're even diving into the newer stuff of like this new Ford F-150 Lightning that's all electric. You pop the hood and there's no engine in there. There's plugs. You can run your whole house off that thing for a literal day. Dude, this is awesome. It, it's kind of not what I was talking about. Dude, we prioritize family and, and, and living the right way. Dude, we're all about family. My great-grandfather bought this car new off the lot. He gave it to his dad. That was my dad, and then, or his son, which is my dad. He gave it to me. I'm going to give it to my kid one day. We're keeping this as a family. We are all about family. And then after a while, the reasons of why the unbeliever could come to church from a cultural Christian perspective run out. And the unbeliever is left to think, um, it's so great that you found your thing. I found my thing. And this is just kind of how we, we found our thing in life. And it's cool. And we'll be cool together, but we'll just keep running in our circles. And you do your thing and I'll do mine. Same way you look at that church thing, bro, is the same way I look at my classic cars. The same amount of time and stuff. Well, we do outreaches. We go help people. Bro, we had a canned food drive twice a year. And we took that down to this to a food bank. And we actually stayed that one time and fed everybody. What's the difference between this and that? Because... They've been able to take the benefits from here, but X out the most important thing. And if we think that the reason we're here is to, um, and the reason we go to church, that we, we follow the good book, and we don't you know, drink or smoke or chew or run with those that do or whatever, if that's why we think we're supposed to be here, to be better moral robots. To take our victory lap when the political situation becomes good for us. What's the difference between this and that? Let me ask the ladies in the, the house a question. You, men, this will, you'll, you'll, fo you'll follow along with me, but I'm just asking the women. Let's just stay for a second. That, um, let's pretend hypothetically, ladies, especially all you single ladies that are in the house, or those that are married, think about when you were single. Let's just say you're independently wealthy. You know, the shoes on my feet, I bought them. Just kidding. Um, we'll be on say there for you. Bam, dad joke. Um, <laughs> so let's say you got your own house paid for. You got a car, it's all paid for. You got investments and your business is going well and your emergency fund is stocked and you got $3 million sitting in an account somewhere, independently wealthy, you don't have to work anymore. And then the guy rolls up. 
<laughs> I don't want no script. Right? So um, the guy keeps coming in and he's say, hey, how are you? You got your own house? Hmm? You own it? Yeah. You have your own car? You own it? Hmm? Man, you're independently wealthy and have all this stuff? Yeah. Can I move in? Ladies, the answer to that question, one, two, three. No. No, no you can't move in. Uh, if you can't move in, can I have your debit card? Ladies, one, two, three. No. Notice there's a little bit more attitude with that one. It was no, and then it was no. Like, are you crazy? You out your mind? Uh, can you at least let me run one of those businesses that you have? <laughs> I need not ask on that one. It was like, no, uh-uh. Can you sit and tell me how you did all this and I'll just sit here for weeks and you just give me all the knowledge that you've worked to attain and that you have figured out on your own? I want you to give that to me. Would you give that to me? <laughs> Boy, go home. That was the answer I was actually looking for right there, right? There you go. I've had enough. Had enough of you, right? Okay. It's stupid. It's dumb. Who's going to do that? That's how America deals with God. Uh, prosperity? Right here. Um, peace? Protection? I'd like that. Wisdom? How to run my business, to stay out of debt, to do all these things, to manage myself well, to have discipline, to not... Uh, not to, to treat my children bad, to honor my father and my mother. I would like all that, but I don't want you. One of the reasons, the main reasons that all these women in this room said, boy, bye, like get out of here, is because all of that may come if there's a relationship. If you want to do the work of getting in a relationship with me, then there might be some of this stuff that would benefit you later. But because you want the stuff and not me, keep your nasty behind walking. But that's what America wants from God. Give me all the stuff. Give me the, the right way to run a nation. Give me the right way to handle people. Give me the, the right value of life. Give me the right everything else that we need to, to make this work. Um, um, and I'm watching people today come around to the idea that, man, this, the Bible has a whole bunch of great stuff. The, the story of Jesus, we don't even know if he's a real guy, but that story is like the epitome of what we're supposed to be achieving. And if you'll just allow me to... Uh, skip over the morality part and let me do what I want on that end. Can you give me the rest of this stuff? And oh, a relationship with you is not what I'm after. I just want the stuff. And the cultural Christian has no way to say what the real benefit is of being with God. Because the cultural Christian who sees this 
through the lens of the red, white, and blue only is only looking for, what's the benefit for me again? And because we have several generations deep of people who have been taught from the pulpit that what you need is, we need to kind of separate ourselves from that Old Testament stuff. We need to kind of just focus on the message of love. We just got to, and then, I agree that the message of love is wildly important. But I'm not willing to sacrifice any part of the gospel to try to make anyone comfortable or try to convince them that they are in line to get something that they can't get on their own. Anybody ever thought that maybe having unparalleled wealth would not be a good thing? Anybody ever thought that um, not only does God bless people, but the enemy might do something to nudge you in the right direction to get you a little bit extra scratch so that you will depend on that instead of the one who gave it to us? As I sat and I thought about all this, I thought about what is the difference between the person who sits right here in this cultural Christian chair and the one who's the real believer? What is the difference? Because right now, I'm not really sure I see the difference, the line between the unbeliever and the cultural Christian. That line starts to get a little bit blurry because all the benefits that I got seem like the same benefits he's got. So what are you trying to get me to do? As I sat and I thought about all the stuff that we had talked about earlier this year, I thought about the armor of God. I thought about King Asa, I thought about the Bible, I thought about the series on money and all the things that we've had the privilege really to learn about together. Thought, how much of that do I know here? I know, but I don't. How much of it do I know I'm supposed to do that? And I have the knowledge of what's right and wrong. And I have the knowledge of what I'm supposed to be doing. And how I'm supposed to be acting. And the way I'm supposed to be living. But I go, Monday. I'll pick that up on Monday. And then Monday comes and I go, I preached Monday. So Tuesday. Because I'm recouping from that. And then Tuesday, it's been a long day at work. Wednesday. Did what I know ever become what I know? 
do I know so much that I can pacify myself to think, I know, I got, I got it, I know. But did it make its way here and eventually here? Did that knowledge I have work its way through my soul, through my heart, and come out in my actions? Friday night as I was sitting here and trying to get ready, the Lord reminded me of the book of James. And I like James because uh, he's kind of like the give it to you straight guy. There's not a lot of uh, beating around the bush with James. Right up in your grill like a good coach. What are you doing? Cut that out. Do it again. You know what I mean? And I'm just going to read these 10 verses here real quick from James chapter 2, 14 through 26, 12 verses. And as I was sitting there wondering... Has my knowledge and my faith produced a different way of action? I came across this. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye and good day, stay warm and eat well, and then you don't give that person any food or clothing, what good does that do? You see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me? How can you show me you have faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. The demons believe and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without deeds is useless? Right there, I don't know about you, but the churchy part of my mind thinks deeds are, I got to feed the homeless. I got to give people rides who don't have them. I got to figure out a practical way to meet a need somewhere. I have to do all that. And yes, those are things we're commanded to do. But as I kept reading, listen to what he says about Abraham. Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right by God, by, right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? That's a little bit different than feeding the homeless. There's a deeper, a deeper concept that's trying to be communicated. Yes, you're supposed to feed the homeless. Yes, you're supposed to look out for people in your faith community who have, it, who have a problem that you could pray for or meet the need. Yes, you're supposed to be doing all of that. That shows that we are truly believers in Christ. But there's something else past that if he's mentioning Abraham giving up his son. You see, his faith and actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. 
And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. Remember that old Israel Houghton song? Remember that? I am a friend of God. Remember that? You guys have got it? I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. Um, did you see the stipulations of what it was to be called the friend of God? His faith and his actions worked together and showed that he really did believe. He was not someone who said, I'm cultural Christian. I'm good with the with the, the idea and the thought of God. Sure, I believe in God. Great, because even the demons believe in him. What's the differential? We are shown to be right by God by what we do, not by faith alone. This one was hard for me to swallow, but Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right by God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the, as the body is dead without breath, so also is faith dead without good works. The only way these guys are going to know the author of all the laws they live by not by trying to be convinced that prosperity and all this good stuff is going to come your way if you just jump right in here and, and you're going to find community and just be with God because the devil has counterfeited that pretty well. The difference is the people who sit in this chair because most of the time you're probably not sitting here you're really following him it leads here what is it you want from me I am a wretched messed up person that is in need of a savior when I read the standard of what God has of course I would do whatever you ask Of course I would give whatever you want. Of course I would lay it down. Because you loved me first before I ever knew it. And I need, I need that. Whatever it is you want from me, I'll go do. That's the difference. Between sitting here and here. But I know the Bible's valuable. I just listened to the historical evidence that you gave, but I got it. Yes, I believe it. Do I read it? Matt, I heard you last week talk about stewardship. And yes, I know that nothing that we have is ours. We're supposed to be stewarding everything, our time, our talent, our treasure. I'm supposed to be stewarding my finances. But did we make the budget? Did we find 
the places where there are gaps where we have been self-focused financially and say, no, I'm not going to do this anymore because I realized I, the concept of the sowing and reaping breeds a generous heart in me. And as that heart expands, God gives me more so I can give it away. Or did I go, I got it, man, but never put it into practice. If there's any parents in the room, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever told your kids to go clean their room? If you don't have any kids, has your parents as a child ever told you to go clean your room? Yeah, everybody. If you told your child to go clean the room, and then 30 minutes later you walk in and the room is not clean, and you ask them, what are you doing? What do they say? What if they told you, I heard you. I know exactly what you want from me. I'm clear on the direction that I have been given by my father. I absolutely understand that the words of my parent have given me instruction and I have taken the time to sit here with them and think about the impact that they're going to have on me. <laughs> We ain't naming names. We're not naming names. And all those words you told me, I looked them up. I know what they mean. I know what it is in Greek. I know what the, the real definition is. I even got the whole thing you said in context. It wasn't just clean your room. It was, you better clean your room or there's X, Y, and Z is going to happen to you. And then if it, but if you do it, we're going to go out to dinner. We're waiting on you. So chop, chop, let's get going. I understand all of that. I have a clear picture. I even wrote it down. I've got it right here. I made notes about what you said to do and highlighted the parts that I should be, that I should be paying attention to. I circled them and wrote them down. And this reminds me of something that you said earlier that I wrote down. And it's right here. So I've got a command here and here from you. It's didn't clean the room. And I sat here in this house Friday night and had to look at my own self and go, I know a lot because I study a lot. Not because I'm brilliant, far from it. I have a wife that protects the study times because she knows the value of it. I know quite a bit, but if I'm honest, there's been areas in my execution that have not been good. Oh, I know it. I can chop it up with you and discuss it and tell you what we're supposed to be doing, how it's supposed to be done, but did I do it? Is it a, I know, I know, or is it really, I know. The message today is just a talk between brothers and sisters. 
we know what dad said to do. Are we doing it? The only reason I could sit here and have the courage to ask you the question is because and I had to ask it myself. Are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? Not so you can prove to God that I got this down and that you can bless me now. No. Because I know what it changed to. You don't understand. I'm a Christian, but you go past a certain line and we're going to throw hands. Is it more important to hold on to that attitude or is it more important to say, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you, O oh God. Is it more important for us to appease the conviction that we feel because we didn't obey at the right time and go, I got it, I know what to do? Or is it more important for us to say, Created me a clean heart, oh God. Is it more important for us to maintain that attitude of no one talks to me that way? Or is it more important to say renew a right spirit within me? Because that's what people who sit here say. God may have given you an instruction to do something that has nothing to do with the last few messages that we, we've been through this year. Today is, actually this week is week 26. We're halfway point through the year. He may have told you to do something or not do something or change something or get involved or commit or decommit or whatever. And I know, okay, I got the instruction. But has it come out here? Yesterday, Nina and I, um, in the morning, uh, went to a funeral of a, a man who we used to attend church with before we started RCC. I don't want to present the idea that we were homies and great friends and stuff like that, but knew each other. He was 39. Wife and three beautiful little girls. Left behind. His name was Jake, and Jake um, had a massive problem, health problem, as a junior in college. Was that 20, 21, around that time frame? His colon exploded in his body as a result of a disease he contracted and through however it happened, and his insides went septic because all of the from all the results of the, of the rupture of his colon just impacted all his organs. They did some surgery and saved his life and came to his family and said, hey, um, we're going to do a surgery to rebuild the colon inside of him, but no one survives the surgery. 
So I'm just tempering your expectations. This is not going to go well. But Jake pulled through. He moved to this area because he needed to be close to the Mayo Clinic where he spent months of his life going back and forth because of different treatments that he needed. He didn't want to appear different, so he didn't let them put an external colostomy bag on him. He went through another procedure so they would put it inside of him, however that works. And if there was anybody who had an excuse to know but not let it come out in his actions, it was that guy. Jake, I didn't even know this, he worked for Boeing. Government division. He worked on the military aircraft. Dude was a legit rocket scientist. And I knew him as a kind of laughy, goofy, happy-go-lucky dude who tried to get me to go play softball with him. He's like, bro, you should come and play the church softball league. I'm like, no. Bunch of old guys talking about the old days, how good they were. The older you get, the better you were. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to do that. Wish I would have gone. Because Jake would invite his unsaved friends to join the team. And then invite his saved friends and his pastors to join the team. And then step in the middle and be like, hey guys, why don't you all have a conversation? Dude ran marathons, triathlons, did the, did the um, whatever the harder version of the marathon is. Um, May 1st um, was one of his last posts on Facebook. It's still up there today. He ran one of the three legs of a marathon. He ran one, his brother one, ran one leg, and his wife did the other leg. They were swimming from Alcatraz, doing that swim from Alcatraz to the shore in that choppy San Francisco Bay. Dude was going. He was running. He was um, uh, at the funeral. Hillary, his wife, pulled this bag up and said, hey, is the, I forgot the guy's name, but, you know, is so-and-so here? And he's like, yeah, he's like, I forgot that the night uh, Jake passed, he, he had this bag of stuff he was going to bring you. Can you come to the reception and take it? Because he just found ways to give to other people. His wife recounted a story of how she came and uh, she came outside from church one day and said, hey, I met this family. They're the, you know, the Johnsons or whatever. And he goes, oh, yeah, I know them. And she's like, what do you mean? We've never talked to them. And he goes, oh, yeah, I met them two weeks ago. And she goes, you didn't tell me that? And he goes, oh, forgot to tell you something else. What's that? Uh, we bought him a couch. <laughs> what? Dude was just finding ways to give, finding ways to keep going. His dad stood there and said, um, people keep coming to me and saying, I was stunned. I knew he was sick, but I didn't know it was like this. I was stunned to hear that he, he passed so quickly. And he said he worked extra hard to not let you see it. He wanted to be present with you and talk to you 
about the God who saved him. I thought about Jake. I thought about how a man who was not perfect in a lot of pain, unbelievable physical difficulties, was able to find ways to pull people together and present the gospel to them without dropping the fact that I'm a rocket scientist working on top secret military stuff in their face. And I thought, why haven't I done the things I know to do? Why hasn't all this I know turned into I saw a quote earlier this week that said, uh, you don't go for the things you were planning because of obstacles. Like you don't see a goal and decide not to go for it because there's obstacles in the way. You go for it because there's a lesser goal with a clear path. And that's not scripture, but I thought it's true. How many of us have chosen to not do the hard work of sitting in this chair? How many of us have ignored what we know and said, yeah, I know, but it's not sunk here because it, re it requires conviction, it requires self-discipline, it requires a change that I don't really want to make. What, what is it that's preventing us from going here? Is it because there's obstacles? No, it's because it's easier to sit here. easier for me to thaw out the chicken I bought at the store, get it all prepped, eat up the grill, go outside and grill it, chop up the vegetables, eat the salad here at the house, or is it easier for me to get a four for four from Wendy's? Path of least resistance. It's not because I don't know what to do or because there's an obstacle, it was just something that was so easy. I don't want to pick easy anymore. G.K. Chesterton wrote that people are not um, overwhelmed because of the problems of life. They're overwhelmed because of pleasure. And so I think the message for us today is one needs a change. Like, for real change. I thought about printing off a piece of paper with steps one through five and handing it out to everybody and going, what are the next five steps you can put together in the next five days because they got to make fives be something. 
five steps over five days for the next five weeks, and you're going to reach this point. What is it you want to do? And then I thought, my guess is that you're probably in the situation I was, that when the conviction set in for me, I knew exactly what I needed to do. My guess is you don't have to think hard about it. Unless you're already wonderfully in this chair, 100% great. But I don't think God would literally stop me from doing what I normally do to be here, to convict me, and then say, I want you to present this to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we're full of a place that's got it all together. My guess is, is there's some things that we know that we don't know. What needs to come from here to here? What needs to go from idea to execution? What needs to change?